The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now today we're catching up with Renascor Resources. ASX code is RNU, trading at 20 cents for a market cap of $507 million. Now I'm sure we all know that Renascor is working towards a vertically integrated graphite and battery anode material in South Australia from the uh, Sivior Mine on the Air Peninsula there and across in Port Adelaide with the BAM plant. So exciting stuff. We all know there's been lots of discussion recently about the, the uh, movement by governments around the world uh, on critical uh, minerals and, in, and more recently the need for Australia to ha- perhaps be thinking about um, getting on higher on the value change by upgrading um, concentrates into refined materials. And uh, this is exactly what Renascor is planning to do. So with that, I'll introduce David Christensen, the Managing Director. G'day, David. G'day, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. David, things have been uh, moving along at a fast pace for you guys. I see that most recently uh, you've uh, alluded to a um, updated and optimised uh, BAM study. Tell us a bit about that and what the uh, scope of it might be. Right. So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're basically putting together two previous feasibility studies that we've done uh, dating back to 2019, uh, one on the upstream mining operation and then a pre-feasibility study level assessment we did on a, a downstream assessment and in putting those together to two 2023 standards and, and really trying to prepare ourselves to complete all the necessary technical work to lead to a final investment decision on and moving forward with uh, the construction phase. Right. So that will lead into a final investment decision roughly when you think? Uh, well, we're anticipating finishing the study sometime around July and uh, pending uh, a favorable outcome of uh, that technical work, uh, we should be in a position then to move forward on trying to find the, the financing solution to get us started. We've also announced that we're bringing forward the upstream portion of the operation and we've actually moved ahead into some of the uh, logistical work in uh, front-end engineering design and long lead time procurement because we're, we're reasonably optimistic that the uh, both the market and the technical work is coming together uh, in, a, in a pretty strong way and the market is, is looking relatively strong uh, so we can move forward relatively quickly, in particular to get that upstream mining operation uh, started as quickly as possible. Right. I understand that long lead time procurement includes uh, accessing the South Australian Power Network as a, an initial tick in the box to get going. Yeah, right. That was uh, That's a recent announcement we made, and uh, it's it's really a major step forward into commencing minor operations in as near a term as possible. Um, so the, the, the upstream mining operation is actually uh, relatively advanced and, and probably one of the more advanced uh, pre-development graphite mines, uh, not just in Australia, but globally. Uh, we have our mining approvals. We've, we've completed all the DFS level engineering work on that upstream. And, and now we're really trying to lock in some of the price and the timing 
because we're relatively confident that that project stands a, a good chance of, of moving forward uh, into that construction phase. Right. Uh, might just actually backtrack a bit. Um, tell us a bit about the Civior um, deposit. Uh, understand it's the second biggest outside of Africa, uh, second largest in the world, uh, biggest outside of Africa. What's the importance of being located in South Australia, you think? Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's, it's twofold. So it, first, it starts off with the, the, the resource itself. So Civior is a, a large resource, and it, it's probably one of only a handful of large-scale resources in the world that can produce a graphite flake concentrate at the mine site uh, at scale at relatively low costs. So, so that's important uh, because it's important to be competitive. Uh, but the second thing about being in, in South Australia that's really opened up uh, the potential to grow even more is the ability to then take that material and not just produce something at the mine site, but move one step further downstream. And, and I think you alluded to in your introduction, the idea of going vertically integrated and what that means. And in graphite, what it means for us is it means a couple of things. One, we can produce a higher value added product, and that means a more profitable operation. So that's important. Uh, but maybe in graphite, even more important is it allows us to access a uh, a better customer base because we move into the anode market, which is, uh, depending on what forecast you're looking at, is growing somewhere between 15 and 30% per annum. So you, you desperately need new products. And the fact that we're in, in South Australia means we can produce not only that material at the mine site, but then we can move one step further into the midstream processing and produce an uncoated spherical product that can be delivered directly to the lithium ion battery sector. So we wouldn't be delivering that to a midstream processor in China who then sells it on to an anode maker. We can do it directly. And and the key here in, in, in South Australia is we have the benefit of being in a, a low-risk industrial jurisdiction. And these are the two things that you really need if you want to move into the downstream. Uh, it, it's a more industrial-based operation, but it, it's also a higher value-added operation. So Companies generally don't like to do this in places that are perceived as having high sovereign risk. So we don't have that here in Australia. So we not only have the benefit of having the low cost mining operation, uh, but the fact that we're in South Australia means we can move one step further downstream, vertically integrate, capture the better margins and deliver into that high growth sector. And what is it about the CVO ore body that uh, will enable this low cost production? It's uh... Is its grade? Is its uh, location? Is the style of um, the deposit? Look, it's it, that's a great question. It's it's really a factor of two things. The first is the shape of the ore body. So Sevier is a, a large flat lying ore body that's really that's thick intersections of graphite near surface, and that's unusual for graphite because graphite tends to outcrop, but then it sits either vertically or subvertically and has a series of lenses. And mm -hmm. if you can imagine in a cross section, it, it generally looks more carrot shaped. Um, and what that means when you mine it is you're dealing with a lot of waste. You're moving a lot of waste material. Uh, the severe deposit itself is relatively unique in that it's relatively flat lying in near the surface. Uh, it looks more like a traditional coal seam than it does a graphite deposit. And that means mm -hmm. we're moving less earth. So the mining cost should be comparatively low. Uh, and then the other thing is at scale. Uh, it's, it's one resource. So you, you mentioned it's uh, a large, it's the second largest proven reserve of graphite in the world, the largest reserve outside of Africa. Uh, but it's one ore body. It's one massive ore body. It's not a series of different deposits that come together mm -hmm. and you have to do different pre-strips. 
It's one massive ore body. So what we're able to do is we're able to reach an economy of scale, use large scale machinery to move material. And we're doing that on a flat lying ore body. And so those two factors together, we think, give us, uh, you know, perhaps a comparative advantage in that mining aspect. Uh, and that we believe is going to allow us to get our unit cost uh, in the first quartile and cost globally to produce that graphite concentrate. So it's those two factors together. Right. Okay. So just to give uh, listeners a bit of a feel, so you, you'll produce this uh, low cost concentrate and when you uh, convert it into the uh, battery anode material or uh, a, a stage of the battery anode material uh, processing uh, system, what is the value up, uplift roughly in? Is it a factor of 10, factor of 5? Yeah, uh, look, the, the currently the, the the mine product is is selling somewhere between seven to uh, seven hundred to twelve hundred US a ton. Uh, if we can upgrade that into an uncoated purified spherical form, it's currently selling uh, around three thousand dollars a ton. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. the forecast for both of these are going up considerably, but roughly you're looking at a three to four times value uplift. Now uh, you mentioned uh, the forecast there, um, some well-known forecasters, benchmarking and others um was it benchmark was talking about there needs to be 90 of these civil mines developed in the next 10 years yeah look i, I think benchmark is predicting uh, upwards of 90 new mines at about 50,000 mines uh, per annum um so you, you're going to need significantly more of these mines in the relative mm. near term and what's what's happened in the graphite sector mirrors a lot of what's happened in some of the other battery minerals in that there's really been a race to increase uh, capacity at all stages, you know, whether it's from the electric vehicle manufacturer, from the, the battery cell manufacturer, the anode or the cathode manufacturer. And, and what we've seen in a lot of these minerals is the ability to produce that midstream production capacity, in particular in graphite, has grown faster than the ability to bring new mines into operation. Uh, and, and part of the reason is is most of that midstream operation capacity is coming on in China, where they can build these operational uh, facilities relatively quickly uh, in the midstream. Uh, but they can't do that on the mining side because they simply don't have enough graphite there. So China's traditionally been uh, not only the world's largest producer of anode material and well, cells and EVs for that matter, Uh, But they've Mm. also been, and they still are, the largest producer of graphite on the upstream, the graphite concentrates. But China now uh, has a problem, and that's that their midstream uh, and their downstream is going faster than their upstream. So China's actually become this year a net importer of graphite. So they don't have enough graphite internally to to feed uh, their own midstream. Um, and for what this means generally is there's just not enough upstream to, 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 to match the downstream. And the problem is really compounded by by two factors. Uh, the first is the longer lead time to get an upstream operation uh, started, especially in a, uh, a first world jurisdiction like Australia or a modern place where you have to go through significant environmental approval stages. Uh, it takes longer uh, just from a permitting point of view. Uh, mm. But we also see more volatility hitting mineral sector where, as you know, Barry, it's a boom and bust cycle where a lot of money goes into the sector and then it stays away. Uh, And this has really hit the graphite side where there have been a lot of fits and starts in the graphite space, but there haven't been a lot of startups of operations. 
and what that means is we have a lot of things on paper that look like they could get started, they could fill it, but they haven't. And we're going to need, yeah, not one or two, we're going to need dozens. And yeah, benchmark, I think, says plus 90 of these things by 2030 to meet the projected upward demand. And the hurdle you're going to have to get over is you're going to have to get over this permitting hurdle because it's going to take longer. Uh, and then you're going to have to get over this, this, this uncertainty from the financing side is how you're going to get these things uh, financed so they can get into operation. So what's your read on the, uh, the implications of all that for uh, future prices? Well, I think we've already seen it. I think, I think there's a playbook for what happened in, in lithium where we saw lithium uh, just after COVID started go significantly down um, and it slowed down the uh, development of upstream operations. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there just wasn't enough material. And we had, what did we have? Prices increased by about you know, 700% um, yeah. in order to, to match some of the, uh, the, the, the need further uh, downstream. Uh, we have a similar situation that is, is brewing with graphite where, uh, we, you know, over the last three months, graphite prices have pulled back a bit, maybe, you know, by 15%, not nearly as much, say, on, on, on the cathode side, uh, and it slows down the development, but it's not happening to the midstream. So the demand is still there. Um, but the upstream has moved forward more slowly. Um, and to me, it looks similar to what we see in a lot of other minerals where you get a boomerang effect where mm-hmm. there's, just, there's just not enough and you're going to have more price volatility. So the price dips down, there's not enough material and it bids the price up. Um, and so in graphite, it, it just it just seems inevitable that there's going to be a, a push for new material uh, in the future. And, and we don't think that future is very far away at all. In terms of um, uh, first production, uh, are you able to... Give us a feel for following feed, how long it might be before the project's up and running. So once we determine that, we're looking at, you know, something like uh, a 12 to 15 month build and then commissioning before we get into ramp up. So somewhere between about a year and a half after we make our final investment decision, we'd hope to be churning out product at at a relatively significant rate. Okay, so it could be sweetly timed in terms of incentive pricing arriving to, uh, well, meet this supply challenge that the world faces. We think so. So the, I mean, one of the, I guess the benefits we have is we've gone through that permitting phase already. So yeah. we've gone through the environmental approvals and it, it, it's a long period of time. So the project itself is, is relatively development ready. Uh, and we think that we're, we're really not that far away from seeing a, a major push in wanting that material. And part of it has to do with the significant growth in the anode sector where, well, not just the anode sector, but the whole battery sector, where there's there's just a great need for this material. And graphite's finally making that transition where historically it's used mostly in industrial applications that grow in a good year, maybe by two or three percent. But now we're seeing the potential for this compounded growth in the anode really just swamp the demand. And we're we're getting to that pivot point of around 50 percent of all the graphite's going to be going into anodes. Uh, and then the, the market is now being moved by the anode sector when the past has been moved by the, uh, that relatively slow industrial space. Uh, and our view is the only impact that can have on price should be uh, very positive for, for miners like us. Now, by the very nature of the product, uh, there's no terminal market, so uh, offtake supply agreements are uh, all important. How is the project uh, placed on that front? 
Yeah, we think quite well. So we, we've always been very focused on the anode market. And, and again, as I explained before, one of the reasons why we wanted to get into the downstream uh, uncoated spherical graphite was that allowed us direct access to anode makers. Uh, and what we're seeing is those anode makers are at risk of potentially not having enough material for their existing operations, uh, much less the expansions that they're looking to move into. Um, so the demand for the product is only getting stronger and the, 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 our offtake discussions in particular are focused on those anode makers. And four or five years ago, when we completed our first study, uh, the anode makers were perhaps a bit more conservative about their growth strategies, but that's really changed. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's changed through all cycles where in the past there was probably less interest in the graphite flake and more interest in the, in the uncoated product where now we're seeing interest in, in, in all aspects of the supply chain. So we, we, we think that's going to allow us to support starting our, our upstream operation with the existing, say, customer base still as anode customers and then transition to the purified spherical graphite uh, once we do the downstream operation. Right. Okay. Now, there was a $185 million loan facility with Export Finance Australia. Uh, which is via the federal government's $2 billion critical minerals facility, which is uh, everyone, people seem to be suggesting will be increased shortly anyway. But I was just wondering, how is financing for the project looking? Yeah, we think it's looking you know, very positive. And I guess we are particularly fortunate to have the government supporting this project. Um, and that was really a, a major tick forward in our commitments to, to move forward on uh, really getting into some of the more advanced long lead time procurement uh, and front end engineering design. Uh, the, the discussions with Export Finance Australia look strong. Uh, we're, we're quite happy to have that government support. And we think that's probably going to allow us then to be able to move forward in a way that if we didn't have it, we'd be looking at uh, much higher forms of, of debt or having to go to the equity markets, which in the past haven't necessarily worked in the graphite space. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a major difference maker for us, I think. Right. And uh, I'll just revert quickly back to the uh, this uh, updated and optimized BAM study. There has been hints that you could be looking to increase the scope of the project. Yeah, absolutely. So when when we completed that initial study, we didn't have any offtake agreements in place for our uh, purified spherical graphite. Uh, now we have uh, four non-binding agreements, and I'll underline non-binding uh, for sixty thousand tons, which is uh, <laughs> twice twice the annual production that we were looking at producing previously. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously, we want to look to meet that new demand and so we think there's every opportunity to produce uh significantly more than we had in that original study we completed back in in 2019 and 2020. um the uh, lot of news recently about uh, the us uh, it's uh, ira and its critical metal strategy and the compact between australia in terms of being preferred supplier does that mean much for you guys yeah, that, that's a major difference maker because in order to qualify for the electric vehicle subsidiary in the United States, you have to meet threshold materials of raw, raw material from either the United States or a free trade country. And outside of uh, the potential for Australia, there are only limited means to do it for graphite. So it's, mm. it's, uh, it, it significantly helps what we're doing both on the upstream and on the midstream. Uh, and we've seen probably a, 
I guess a more a more serious push from some of the anime makers as well to perhaps favor uh, Australian graphite as a kind of free trade graphite in a market that really doesn't have a significant amount of that. Uh, so it's mm. it, it's it's been a major major push for for our project and that overall relationship between the United States and Australia as being a, a, a free trade country is a major difference maker. The uh, and finally, well, an area that uh, interests me particularly. Um, when I look across the battery materials and some of the, if you look at nickel, some of the uh, processing routes in a uh, place like Indonesia, where we're talking very high CO2 emissions, um, you know, the so-called carbon footprint, your project is a bit different to the ones we will see in uh, China, where they use uh, hydrofluoric acid, which uh, no one really wants to use if they can avoid it. Tell us about the processing route with this project? We don't use hydrofluoric acid. We use, uh, I guess, more benign reagents. And so we use a process that would have a, uh, a, a multi-leach step and then a, a low temperature bake. So we, we avoid hydrofluoric acid, which, which, which can be quite nasty to, to handle and, and moreover to dispose of. Um, so we, we don't have those issues. The, the other major, I guess, benefit we have from an environmental standpoint is that there's not an insignificant electricity draw to what we're doing. Uh, and we'll be connecting to the main power grid in South Australia, which by the time we get into operation will be 85% renewable. Um, and so we think from a carbon footprint point of view, this is going to put us in a, in a particularly positive relative position. Uh, especially to Chinese who who generally use coal-fired electricity to do their downstream production. So these two factors together. So we're we're perhaps working in a in, in a safer environment by not using hydrofluoric acid in the first place. But then if you look at the carbon footprint, which is increasingly being looked at by, in particular, the finance community uh, mm-hmm. in order to benchmark your projects, uh, the fact that we're in a jurisdiction like Australia helps to, to start because. By definition, we have to follow some of the strictest environmental rules in the world. But then by avoiding hydrofluoric acid and then by plugging into uh, one of the more renewable uh, grids, uh, not just in Australia, but in the world, uh, those two things from an environmental standpoint really put this uh, project, we think, in in, in a very strong position. Okay, David, you've outlined a fascinating story there. So uh, let's bring it all together and just give investors a feel for what they should be looking out for before... 2023 is up. We'll be finishing our technical work. Uh, we think that BAM study, uh, where we're relatively confident we're going to be able to take off on a number of the technical aspects that are going to demonstrate that this project uh, is robust and should be moving forward. Uh, we'll be looking at putting together uh, offtake. Uh, I mentioned we had non-binding offtake. We'll be looking at converting those to to binding, then putting the, the the debt together to make the final investment decision, uh, and then moving forward into the construction phase as quickly as we can. So, uh, and then the backdrop to all this, we think, is going to be uh, uh, a market outlook for for graphite uh, that stands to to grow in parallel to to our development of the project. So, you know, twenty twenty three for us, it's it's been a uh, a pretty busy start to the year as we've been working on some of the technical work, but that's just really laying the foundation to move into that next phase where we can demonstrate we're meeting some of the key milestones so we can uh, move past the planning into the construction and, and, and put together what we think uh, could grow into one of, if not the largest uh, graphite producers in the world. Okay, David, thanks for your time today. Fascinating story. We'll be watching with interest. Good luck with it all. Okay, great. Thanks, Barry. Cheers. Cheers.